Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network, and I'd like to tell you that we have a new and improved website. It has two new features that we think you'll love. One of them is a vastly improved search engine so that when you type in keywords, you'll get a bunch of episodes really quick. The other is the ability to create a listener account. And in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening. So you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in Middle Eastern Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Robert Elliott, the host of the channel. Today, we'll be speaking to Dr. Vahram Ter Matavosyan about his new book, Turkey, Kemalism, and the Soviet Union, Problems of Modernization, Ideology, and Interpretation. Hi, Dr. Ter Matavosyan. Welcome to the show. Hi, Robert. Thank you for having me. Vahram, I, I wonder if you could begin the interview by telling us a little bit about yourself. Uh, sure. Um, yes, uh, I'm um, a scholar currently based um, in Armenia, um, Yerevan. I work um, at the American University of Armenia. I am the, I'm the program chair of political science and international affairs uh, program here. Um, I've been studying um, Turkey for the last uh, 20, 22 years. It all started in 1987 um, with this uh, what is called uh, postmodern coup uh, in Turkey, and it, it attracted my uh, attention as as a as a uh, student of history, and then I, I kept reading it. It, it. it was really fascinating back then to see the the difficult interplay between the military and and the civilians, and then I started to get deeper into the Turkish uh, Republican history. So I. I my first book was on political political Islam and uh, the intellectual and political origins of the Milli Görüş movement, National Outlook movement, which later on gave birth of Erdogan and the new Turkish political elite that is currently running the country. And then I was simultaneously working on 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 Kemalism, uh, and then uh, yeah, I, I I also work on on Turkish uh, foreign policy, Turkish-Armenian relations, and uh, overall the 20th century history of Turkey. I, I also am um, also um, uh, working at, at the National Academy of Sciences of, of Armenia um, at the Turkish Studies Department, and I have been there since 2000. 
for. So how did you come upon this book project? Yes, um, this is um, this the idea of writing this uh, book uh, kept me busy for a number of years now. I, I started to come to an understanding that in order to understand many problems of current Turkey, we need to go back uh, to its ideological foundations, because uh, Kemalism uh, was not only about uh, about the past; it was also about the present and the future of Turkey. So these notions <clears throat> uh, dragged me into this um, field of Kemalist uh, studies, and uh, the more I got interested uh, in, in into this uh, topic, the more I understood that this is a key to understand um, many of the current problems of uh, of Turkey. So with that um, assumptions, with that uh, research uh, motivations in mind, I, I went on to to understand that uh, Kemalism uh, is n- not only the founding ideological base of of the Republic in Turkey, it has more in it. So and then I, I, I started to um, pick pick up that issue, that topic uh, for my doctoral dissertation in Norway in the, the University of Bergen at the Center for Middle Eastern and Islamic Studies. So uh, the more I got into it, I, underst- I understood that there, until that point, mid-2000s, there was not a holistic picture of Kemalism. So there were some periodical assessment and and uh, coverage of Kemalism, analysis of Kemalism, but uh, no one approached it um, as a continuation, as, as a history of Kemalism. So I started to, uh, to understand uh, different transformations of Kemalism from the 1920s uh, all the way to uh, 1970s. And then I, I understood that um, Kemalism is not only about Turkey. Uh, Kemalism was such an attractive model of development, or at least was seen so by um, many nations in the post-Ottoman space, in uh, outside of this um, space, in in the Far East, in, in in India, in China, that it was the external perception of Kemalism. Um, was uh, missing. Um, so I thought that, well, how could this uh, be sort of left outside? So this idea of transnational history of Kemalism also came out as sort of a byproduct of my uh, book, uh, of my research project. So then I said, well, this is something that is really interesting. And I, I should be. I should. Uh, I should write more. I should. I should read more. And then, while I was reading, um, and I, different uh, books um, came out, like uh, the uh, recently for the last five, uh, six years, a book of Stefan Irik of Alaturk in the Nazi Imagination, uh, the book by Pernar Dosniego, Le Bon Dictateur, uh, how how the French looked at. Kemalism in the 1920s, 30s, mostly looking at him in a positive light. And Stefan Ehring's book uh, that I just mentioned, Atatürk in the Nazi Imagination, where he presents the German perspective, uh, mostly 
uh, uh, right-wing uh, press perspective and Hitler's perspective on Kemalism, mostly looking at uh, Ataturk and his uh, deeds, achievements. In a positive light, Hitler uh, uh, literally looked at Ataturk as a source of inspiration. Other books also uh, were uh, produced uh, recently, the book by a Pakistani um, scholar-historian, uh, Naim Qureshi, uh, where he writes about the Indian Muslim perspectives uh, on Kemalism, mostly uh, how Indian Muslims and the leaders of Indian Muslim movements, Muhammad Iqbal and others, uh, looked at Kemalism, looked at Ataturk as a source of inspiration. The other book was published uh, just recently, a few months ago, by French uh, scholars. It, it's also called Kemalism, Transnational Politics in the Past Ottoman World. Again, this is another look from the Balkans towards Kemalism, uh, from the Middle East towards Kemalism, from the uh, North Africa towards Kemalism. All this is pretty, um, give a pretty uh, congratulatory picture of, uh, of Kemalism and reforms in Turkey. Uh, another article was published last year by Jacob Landau in the Middle Eastern Studies Journal, again, which uh, presents how uh, uh, Jews uh, were looking at Kemalism, again, as a, uh, as a model of development, and how Ben-Gurion, the founder of the uh, State of Israel, uh, spoke highly of um, Mustafa Kemal and his deeds. So, uh, against this background... It was rather interesting that um, that one component was missing, and how could a country that was one of the biggest players in the international affairs, a country that had close relations, uh, cordial relations with uh, uh, the newly founded Republic of Turkey, how could the the perspective of a country which would which had a significant impact? on many aspects of Turkish development uh, be left out. And I'm, of course, talking about the Soviet Union. So these were the uh, sort of the things that, uh, in addition to understanding the holistic picture of Kemalism, also uh, kept me busy. Um, and I, I started to read into uh, read this, uh, the existing literature in Russian, and it was rather fascinating to see uh, that that bulk of transnational history of Kemalism uh, was left out. And against uh, all the other perspectives which were mostly positive, we have the Russian, the Soviet perspective, which was mm, not so uh, supportive of Kemalism, at, uh, especially after 1927. So this, these were the... Uh, the, the the major uh, contours of, of of this study. However, there should be an explanation why uh, the Soviet views were were absent. It's um, uh, mostly the Soviet uh, the scholars were mostly busy uh, with understanding the bilateral relations between Turkey and the Soviet Union, domestic revolutionary transformations in Turkey the Turkish Communist Party and the leftist movements, the Russian possible influences on the Kemalist policy of etatism, the Cold War, etc. 
So there was no genuine interest to understand how the Soviet Union looked at the domestic ideological transformations and modernization of um, inside inside uh, Turkey. Uh, however, when we look at the literature on Kemalism in the Soviet Union, there is an abundance of literature. It's This is what is interesting. Uh, so, for instance, in 1979, uh, the National Academy of Sciences of uh, the Soviet Union published a reference book, which is called Kemalism. And it was, what is interesting, for official use only. So only scholars with special permission could have access to this list of references, which had um, published five, around 500 titles of those books, which were, um, which were in foreign languages and on uh, Kemalism from 1930 to 1976. Another book, again, A Bibliography of Turkey, was published um, in 1982, or, and that was, that was also about all the books published on Turkey from 1917 to 1975, and it also had a, a section on Kemalism. So we are talking about a huge uh, literature that exists uh, on domestic transformations of Turkey in the 1920s all the way to 1970s and how Soviet scholars uh, looked at this in a, in a, in a consistent um, uh, basis. Uh, we I also looked at in, in this study at the periodicals um, at that time, mostly the Communist Party periodicals uh, covering the Middle East, uh, the Communist International Comintern periodicals, um, People's Commissariat of Foreign Affairs uh, periodicals, and pe the periodicals produced by research institutions in the Soviet Union. So there is a, there is an abundance of literature on on domestic transformations um, of Turkey, on Kemalism, different aspects of Kemalism, and uh, this this came to present a completely different, a neglected aspect of Kemalism, the Soviet perspectives on Kemalism. So the book basically consists of two parts. The, the first part, uh, the, the big part, is about history of uh, transformation of Kemalism itself, and the second part is about the Soviet uh, perspectives on Kemalism and its uh, development and um, Soviet interpretations of Kemalism. Why do you think that scholars in the West have ignored the Soviet literature on Turkey and Kemalism? Uh, it's uh, it's really interesting. So uh, I I'll, my explanation is that um, they were not interested uh, in this topic. Um, they looked at Kemalism uh, mostly their their notion, their interpretation of Kemalism was in line with um, the the inertia of, of existing interpretations. And that was uh, looked at, look at the, this Muslim uh, country, which was able to overcome its Ottoman past and to become a role model for the Muslim world, for the, for the, for the East. Uh, so the world didn't really want to have a better understanding of the, of the Middle East 
um, uh, they they wanted to look at Kemalism mostly as a, as a successful model. And uh, in addition to this, I guess, uh, and, but the Russian perspectives and approaches were quite different from the uh, orthodox interpretations of Kemalism. Uh, the other approach, um, I think that Russians had a better understanding, or the Soviets had a better understanding of, of Turkey than uh, it was the case with the West. We have to remember that the, the, Sov- uh, that the Russian Empire and then the Soviet Union had a very strong uh, Orientalist studies and, and they had a tradition of uh, studying uh, the Orient. Uh, the Middle East and Turkey, including Turkey. And the other one, of course, I would say the, the, the language uh, obstacles. Um, it's, uh, the, so far, there was, has been only one uh, American scholar in 1963 who wrote um, a short survey of, of the Russian perspectives on Kemalin, it was uh, in 1963, it was, uh, I guess it was a PhD student who, who wrote about this about this topic. But other than that, um, there has been nothing uh, about this, the, the Soviet uh, perspectives on, on Kemalism. So I would, I would say these were the key um, issues that kept uh, the Western observers um, away from the Soviet perspectives on Kemalism. I don't know about you, but I'm very busy and I don't have a lot of time to cook. That's why I subscribe to Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. These are two-minute meals. Factor meals are ready to eat in heat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. They're flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math, and this is important. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com NBN50 and use code NBN50 to get 50% off. That's code NBN50 at factormeals.com slash nbn50 to get 50% off. You mentioned in your text that Kemalism is very difficult to define, and there's not even one Kemalism, not even if we look to the period of the 1920s and the 1930s. Can you talk about these different kind of Kemalisms? Kemalism is, is, a, is, is rather a complex um, uh, phenomenon. Uh, if we just go the, the short way and say, Kemalism is um, is an ideology. It won't tell us the complexity of this uh, of this phenomenon. Uh, I think it's um, uh, Kemalism is more than its six principles uh, that are widely known: republicanism, nationalism, laicism, revolutionism, populism, etatism. Um, Kemalism is. Uh, is uh, is uh, the way that that I look at Kemalism is basically composed of two big components, and I look at Kemalism um, as an ideology that was viewed as normatively constructed collection of ideas and concepts, which uh, were endorsed by a political party or 
by state institutions, for instance, army uh, and uh, some other big um, uh, state institutions. And I, I look at Kemalism, the second um, analytical framework was the system of principles. So ideology and system of principles. So when I look at it at system of principles um, or system of thought, it's an extensive application of circumstantially adjusted ideas, norms, values, and visions by different agents, which try to adjust Kemalism or the interpretation of Kemalism to, uh, according to their needs and according to their uh, uh, worldviews. So um, I, I've even come up with uh, a number of definitions of Kemalism, and I can assure you that there are more than um, 100 uh, definition of Kemalism. <laughs> so I, I don't, I didn't want to be the one I did in the first uh, 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 person to, who, who offer a new definition. So I, I'd rather, uh, I'd rather come out with, come up with uh, something, a working uh, definition. The definition that I have in my book is basically that Kemalism um, has strong continuation uh, from the Ottoman past. It has, um, uh, it, it, it has presented a new conceptualized development model according to the needs and according to the uh, challenges that Turkey was facing uh, in the 1920s and 30s. So um, from that perspective, uh, it's rather interesting also to understand the origins of Kemalism. So some scholars date uh, back um, trace back the origins of Kemalism all the way to 18th century. Others uh, mostly in the, uh, to the 19th century. There, there are even scholars who have an exact day when Kemalism was started, and uh, some are saying it's 19, 19 uh, December when he delivered his famous speech in uh, uh, in, in Turkey in Nevşehir. Some are saying no, it's uh, the, the, the date that is openly accepted by the Kemalist um, historiography, and that is uh, May 19th, 1999, when uh, Mustafa Kemal famously landed in Samsung, and, and the sentence that uh, opens his famous book, uh, Nutuk, uh, his speech that he delivered in 1927, 36-hour speech uh, that, he, that he presented um, at... Um, Great Congress, uh, as it is presented in the Kemalist historiography, uh, he opened the book. He opened his speech with a sentence: "I landed in Samsung on May 19th, 1999." And so these people are presenting it as, as as a starting day for for Kemalism. So, against this back, this background, what is rather fascinating is how the Soviets were able to use the term Kemalism with its ideological connotations much earlier than the term became a, a common buzzword in Turkey. So that makes the Soviet perspective uniquely distinct. So what my book is uh, is presenting, what my book is trying to show that the, the Marxist-Leninist um, approach uh, towards Kemalism with its all, all old, awkward lexicon that he was using, it was also helpful to how the Soviets looked at Kemalism as an uh, ideological uh, experiment 
much earlier, like I said, that it was the case in in, in Turkey. It is overall accepted um, that for the first time the term Kemalism, with ideological connotation, was used in 1929. Uh, it was presented by Yakub Kadri Karaosmanoğlu and a few of his supporters. And then in 1931, six principles of Kemalism were introduced. In 1935, the 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 term Kemalism was coined on the six principles, and in 1937, these six principles of uh, of the ruling party were incorporated into the constitution. Uh, so, what I am showing in my book that uh, yes, this is only the domestic uh, picture, uh, but uh, people should not ignore the external interpretation of Kemalism because the word Kemalism was a, was a big. Uh, in Russia, in the Soviet Union, the term Kemalism was was used as a, as, as a normal phenomenon, and uh, you, the people, uh, scholars, historians in the Soviet Union in the nineteen twenties and thirties, uh, they wrote articles, books on Kemalism uh, in the nineteen twenties, uh, like at least a decade earlier than it was um, used. Um, uh, in the in Turkey, the first um, uh, definition of Kemalism that I came across was in February 1921, uh, where um, diplomat, Soviet diplomat, is sending a cable to uh, at that time Soviet Russia, saying, uh, "Well, Kem- this is the definition of Kemalism, and it's uh, this is rather interesting." Um, and all the time, the Soviets were at liberty. Soviet scholars, um, diplomats, observers, Communist Party functionaries were at liberty of using Kemalism uh, and analyzing Kemalism from different perspectives. But then we we uh, comes um, 1927 when uh, Stalin uh, delivers his famous uh, speech where he defines Kemalism, uh, and after that point onwards. All the interpretations of Kemalism were to be in line with uh, Stalinist definition of Kemalism. Uh, basically, Stalin said that um, the, the Kemalist revolution uh, was a revolution of the national mercantile bourgeoisie, and which was created during the struggle against the foreign imperialists, and in its further development. Uh, was directed essentially against the peasantry and workers, against the very possibility of an agrarian revolution. So he was uh, quite upset uh, that uh, the agrarian revolution was not happening in Turkey. And at some point, we see how the Soviets were interested in trying to facilitate the agrarian revolution in, in Turkey. Um, so, uh, but uh, but Kemalism as a phenomenon as an ideological construct project had a rather interesting fate. So until 1950s, it uh, was Kemalism, but then we see the rise of a new term, the second phase, uh, alter phase of, of Kemalism, and that was Ataturkism. Um, so it's rather interesting. They, they picked, uh, they picked uh, uh, Kemal Ata, Mustafa Kemal Ataturk, Ataturk the, the, the last uh, the part of the surname, and put it as a foundation for a new ideological breed uh, deriving from Kemalism. So we have Kemalism, we have Ataturkism, 
And there are of, there is of course left Kemalism, right Kemalism, neo Kemalism, post Kemalism. Uh, so there is no shortage of of concepts uh, used around um, Kemalism. So you mentioned um, the introduction of Ataturkism instead of Kemalism in the 1950s. So during this period of time, Turkey's undergoing a lot of pretty radical structural changes with World War II and, um, you know, the Isma Inunu coming to, to office. How did this changing political context of the 1940s and the 1950s affect both hegemony and the content of what Kemalism and Ataturkism is in Turkey? The, what needs to be understood that, um, uh, that after Ataturk, died in 1938, uh, there were lots of doubts about the future of um, Kemalism. And what Inoni was able to do, he brought this um, bureaucratization of uh, Kemalism. And it is rather interesting that some scholars even introduced the term Inonuism as a sort of uh, continuation and to some extent a rapture from the from high Kemalism uh, of the 1930s. Uh, so we see these uh, zigzags of Kemalism already after um, 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 Mustafa Kemal's death. So after Ataturk, um, the, the, the gates were open for different interpretations of Kemalism to come into play. And um, we also see in the, in the Russian perspectives, the Soviet perspective, help us to understand um, what happened to this uh, hegemony, uh, or I would say alleged hegemony that Kemalism was able to uh, create in its, own, uh, in its own country. We see how the Russian perspectives, the Russian sources help us to understand uh, how they were able to identify early on that there was a merger uh, of the state and and the ruling party. Uh, if it's in in literature on on Turkey, in the literature on Turkey, 1935 is is um, accepted as a as a year when there was a final merger merger of the state and the party. Uh, however, the Russian scholars uh, present uh, the year 1927 when. Uh, there was a merger between the party and the state. The ruling uh, party, Republican People's Party, was able to control basically uh, everything. Uh, and uh, it was a single party period, and uh, that party took it over everything. And uh, Russians, uh, Russian sources also help us to understand that the ruling party ha had a poor institutionalization uh, and it was uh, structured, structured-wise, the, uh, the RPP, the Republican People's Party, was uh, ill-developed, uh, was um, not reaching out to the grassroots. It, it had poor grassroots support. It uh, also helped us to understand that in the 1920s and 30s, um, um, Kemalism remained very elitist, very urban-centered um, ideological construction, um, and uh, like the periphery was not fully aware of the ideological nature um, of Kemalism and different objectives that it uh, followed. 
And the Russian perspectives are also quite informed. The Soviet perspectives are quite informed. If you could see what I presented in this book, how informed were the discussions about uh, the, the present and future of Turkey. Uh, there are so many interesting details. Um, the Soviet scholars uh, visited uh, Turkey on a regular basis, uh, and they were able to understand different um, phases of its development. Moreover, there were so many joint projects um, that was going on uh, that were implemented by uh, jointly by Turks and the Soviets that uh, the that the Soviets had a hands-on experience on uh, on Turkish domestic transformation. So when we understand all this, we see that in the 1940s and 50s, um, in a new uh, in a new um, period, uh, was uh, created um, problems for Soviet-Turkish relations, and the Soviets started to look at um, uh, in a new mostly under the negative um, light because Inonius' geopolitical um, uh, preferences, so he, he, he tried to take a pro-German neutrality, uh, that's a term that is mostly used in the literature, and so he, 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 he took that position which alienated uh, the Soviet Union and Turkey, um, and uh, we see how the how they, the history of the Soviet Union and uh, uh, and Turkey enter a phase of tensions that goes all the way to mid nineteen sixties. So this um, different uh, uh, interplay, difficult interplay of hegemony adjustment and reconceptualization of Kemalism, help us to understand um, not only. Uh, Turkey of the 1940s and 50s and 60s, but also uh, the, the, the external interpretations, external approaches uh, of, of, uh, towards Kemalism. Well, we've taken up a lot of your time today. Um, as is the traditional final question on New Books and Middle Eastern Studies podcast, what are you working on now? Um, currently, I'm working on um, global global fascism and its Turkish um, manifestations. So the, the Turkish manifestation of uh, global fascism. I look at global fascism as an interesting phenomenon, as a phenomenon that is uh, why, quite um, neglected, ignored. And I am trying to, uh, underst- uh, I'm trying to argue that Kemalism uh, and young Turkism um, uh, the forefathers of Kemalists in the late Ottoman period, uh, and the, many of their deeds, many of the reforms and uh, and policies should um, can be also approached from the global fascist perspective. Uh, global fascism was uh, was all encompassing uh, phenomenon uh, in in the mid twentieth century, uh, in the first half of the twentieth century that helped uh, uh, and affected many nations around the globe. So I'm, I'm working on it, and um, I hope uh, my next uh, book uh, will be exactly on this uh, topic. That sounds like a very interesting and provocative project, and I, I really look forward to reading it when it's ready. Uh, I want to thank you for being on the show today. I, I really enjoyed our talk. Thank you very Thanks much. For being on.
is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.